Now, let me talk to you about, Samson is so interesting to me. Samson's birth was heralded by an actual visitation from an angel to his parents. And the angel told his parents, the the boy that you're going to have is going to begin. He's not going to finish it, but he's going to begin to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. So God was telling his parents, your son, the one that's going to be born, that's not born yet, is going to be the scourge of the Philistines. He's really going to put the hurt on the Philistines. And so his parents listen to that and they go, wow. Now I want you to notice God knew what Samson was going to be and what he was going to do before he was ever born. Just like he did Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I, I, I called you before you were born. Just like David the psalmist wrote and said, when I was in my mother's womb, God's hands shaped me, formed me, made me, wired me, gave me my genetic code, my DNA, all of those things. In other words, the Bible teaches that every one of us are custom designed. We're custom designed for a purpose. The Bible completely refutes that we are the byproduct of an evolutionary process. The Bible totally refutes that. Evolution says, well, you know, uncaring forces, apathetic forces, just randomly spat you into life. But God says, no, I formed you, I shaped you, I made you, I created you, I designed you for a purpose. So therefore, we all have meaning. We have high meaning. We have high purpose. So it was with Samson. Now, the Bible says he was called to be a Nazarite, a, a, a Nazarite took a vow. And the vow covered two things. You cannot drink alcohol and you cannot cut your hair. So early on, Samson understood the fruit of the vine is forbidden to me and I can't go get a haircut. Because the uncut hair is the symbol of my consecration to God. So here we got this this man born from the womb. He's called of God. Now, Samson really is the true superhero of history. The the Greek mythology gave us Hercules, but Hercules was all made up. It was mythology. But Samson wasn't made up. Samson was real. He really was a he-man. He really was a man who was a deliverer with supernatural strength. He had unbelievable strength. I'm going to just give you one example of this man's incredible strength. It says in the Bible that one night, Samson took hold of the doors of the gate of a city. And the city was Gaza. And he took the two gate posts with the doors. He pulled them up out of the ground, bar and all put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Now, let me tell you what one commentator wrote about this. Watch this. The bar was probably a strong iron or wooden crossbar, huge, because it was the gates of a city, which was attached to the posts by a lock and could only be removed by one that had the key, but Samson didn't need the key. Samson tore up the posts 
with the barred gates attached to them and putting the whole mass of wood and steel on his back, walked off with it. Hebron, get this, Hebron, where he took all this stuff, was 10 to 11 miles from Gaza. So Samson carried this massive metal and wood 10 to 11 miles uphill. That just makes me tired preaching it. (laughs) But let me tell you something else about Samson. If you had met him, he did not look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wasn't rolling with muscles. You say, Jeff, how do you know that? Well, we can surmise it. Here's how. Because why would Delilah later and all the Philistines wonder where his great strength came from? If he looked like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I got it. I understand. You're bad. But he didn't. He didn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Or else they would not have constantly wondered, where is he getting this strength? How is he this mighty? How does he do these things? And here's the key. His strength came from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His strength was supernaturally given. His strength was situational. It was in a context. Every time that Samson performed a great feat of strength, the Bible adds these words. It says, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So when he went to pull these gates out and these doors and all of that, when he went to do this feat of strength, uh, um, it said the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he jerked these gates and doors right up out of the ground and carried hundreds and hundreds of pounds 10 miles uphill. Hebrews 11.32 places Samson in God's Hall of Fame and Faith. He is in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. But the book of Judges is very, very painfully honest regarding his fatal flaws. The book of Judges is going to tell us where he was weak. Hebrews tells us the way God saw him, the way God honored the end of his life. He was a man of faith. But Judges is going to tell us about his flaws so that we can learn from them and not make the same mistakes. What, you got to look at this, what could bring down such a mighty man? I mean, this, nobody, nobody, he was a one-man army. Nobody could beat this guy. He had the world at his fingertips. Nobody on earth was anointed like this man. He was a cut above all the rest. No one could touch him. No one could match him. He was in his own stratosphere. Yet down he fell. We find him at the end, blind, walking in endless circles as he was given the task of grinding at the mill. I picture him. He's walking. He's pushing. He's carrying the mill around, grinding seed. He's just going in endless, futile, meaningless, purposeless circles who used to conquer the world. He's a prisoner of the Philistines, and he's a shadow of his once mighty self. You look at that, and you go, wow. How could that happen? What happened to this guy? Well, the Bible clearly tells us, and that's why it's in the Bible, so that we will look at his life and learn and not make the same mistakes. So perk up. Watch this. We all need this. All right? 
the he-man with a she-weakness. First thing we see about Samson, he went to the wrong places. He went to the wrong places. Now, now, starting out, boy, was he promising. The Bible records that Samson grew and the Lord blessed him. And it says in his early teen years, the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him in the camp of Dan. Now, it mentions the camp of Dan because the Bible wants us to know that was his people. That was God's people. That was one of the tribes of Israel. So in the right context, in the right place, the Spirit of God began to move on Samson. You know, it matters where you are in life. It matters where you are, where you position yourself. Because this man, Samson, as long as he was around the right people, as long as he was in the right place, the Spirit of the Lord began to move on him, and he began to realize, wow, there is a supernatural anointing on my life. There, God is moving on me in a way that I don't see him moving on anybody else. There is a call on me, a destiny for me, a purpose for me. And so he's beginning to understand in the early days who he was and what was on his life from God. That's very important. We all know that. And he also knew better than anybody else, this isn't me. This is when the Spirit of the Lord moves on me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am what I am by the anointing of God. I'm not doing this by my own strength. God is touching me to do this thing. And it's a great day in your life and mine when we wake up and realize that there are certain things we do that God touches and we can say, that wasn't me. That was the Spirit of the Lord. And when I do that, that's when God uses me. So, so far, so good. He's young. He's a teenager. The Spirit of the Lord is moving on him. He's realizing he's got a great anointing. But then we come to Judges 14, verse 1, where we read that Samson goes down, everybody say down, to Timnah. Timnah, a place he should have stayed away from. You know, I've noticed that the Bible is so ex explicit and specific that, that when Abraham left the promised land, out of a lack of faith, and said, I'm going to go to Egypt for protection. The Bible words it, he went down to Egypt. Samson is now getting out of the will of God. And getting out of the will of God is always down. Timnah is where he went. Timnah was a border town between Judah and the Philistines. And you know what? Timnah was, it was a town filled with temptation. In Judges 14, verse 5, just four verses later, the Bible references the vineyards of Timnah. That means booze, alcohol. This means that alcohol was plentiful in Timnah. And something else was in Timnah, the Philistines. He had been born and anointed to destroy, but going down to Timnah, he's putting himself in proximity to two things forbidden to him, the wine and the wrong people. It's quiet in here today. All of a sudden, it got real quiet. Now, remember... Let's recall, one of the conditions of Samson's vow was that 
He not partake of the fruit of the vine. He was not to drink alcohol. He was not to touch alcohol. That was part of his consecration to God. So let me ask you a a million dollar question. Should this man with a Nazarite vow be hanging around vineyards? It'd be like you saying, I'm never going to drink again. Excuse me while I go to the bar. In other words, here's what he did. He put himself in close proximity to what God had forbidden him to touch. And this is Samson. This is part of his weakness. He dances around the flame. He says, I'm not going to dive in, but I'm going to get close. I'm going to walk around the fire. I'm going to flirt with it, though I'm not going to do it. Because he assumed, I can get real close, but because I'm the he-man and I'm so strong, I will avoid totally falling. I'm just going to get close. I'm going to see how close I can get without falling. It's part of his flaw. It's part of his um, erroneous thinking. Now let me tell you what I learned from Samson right here and now. The first step towards sin is going to the wrong places and getting around the wrong things. Now, let me just put it another way. 90% of defeating temptation is avoiding the scene of temptation, isn't it? I mean, if I know that God has said, now that's not for you, Jeff. Uh, That's not for you as a Christian. Then the worst thing and stupidest thing I can do is go get close to it. It's that little story of, the little boy named Willie, and he's at his grandmother's, and his grandmother says, now, Willie, you can't eat cookies in between meals. All right, Grandma. Well, the grandma goes off, and suddenly she hears clanking and a noise and cupboard banging, and she goes in, and there's Willie. He's standing on two stools. He's got the cupboard open, and the cookie jar top is off, and he's looking in it. She said, what are you doing? He said, resisting temptation. Well, guess what, Willie? Close the cupboard door, put the top back on the cookie jar, and get way away from it. (laughs) Maybe at this point, I'm not saying that Samson was drinking the alcohol that was forbidden to him, but he was dancing around the forbidden flame. He was getting close. Now, church, remember, the Holy Ghost put things in the Bible so that we would learn from them and not make the same mistakes. Samson assumed because he was so strong, he could not fall. Doesn't the Bible say, take heed lest you think you stand? Take heed, those of you that are positive you're standing and can never fall. It says, lest you fall. Don't get to the place where you're so confident that you're so strong, you think you're a spiritual he-man, that you can't fall. Because here's Samson saying, not me, I'm not going to fall. I'm just going down to Timnah to see what's going on. But essentially he went to a bar, and essentially he went where there were people God had called him to destroy, not befriend. So he went to the wrong place. The second mistake he made, he hung around the wrong people. You know, this is so basic, but I'm going to tell you something today, church. There is nothing more powerful than relationships, who you decide to run with, who you decide to hang around with. There are people that will take you down, and there are people that will build you up. When God wants to bless you, he puts a person in your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he puts a person in your life. Because both 
understand the power of relationship. In a relationship, it may look good. See, Samson, uh, he had chemistry with these people. As a matter of fact, he sure had chemistry with the women. But they took him down. They didn't love his God. They didn't have his faith. They didn't believe in what he did. But he went down to Timnah. And in the wrong place, while he was where he shouldn't have been, he saw a beautiful Philistine girl. The wrong place led into a relationship with the wrong person. That's why I tell people, people say, oh, I want to get married. I'm a believer and I want to get married. Well, then fish out of the right pond. Don't go fishing in a pond where you're going to get piranha. If you want a man of God, don't go where lounge lizards are. I heard another preacher say that. I stole it. (laughs) I mean, it's very, very simple. You're going to get out of whatever pond you fish in. Samson didn't have that sense. He went down to the wrong place. Started hanging around the wrong people. The Israelites have been told to stay separate from the pagan nations. Don't intermarry with the pagan nations. Be careful because their idols will become your idols. Their beliefs will become your... What made them stumble will make you stumble. And Samson shows us, here's this he-man, but he's so weak in another respect. God did not say to Samson and the Israelites to separate from pagan nations to be a party pooper. He wasn't against relationships. He understood the dynamic of how the wrong friendships and relationships can take you away from God. He said, the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Now, now, that doesn't mean you can't be friendly with unbelievers or reach unbelievers or witness to unbelievers. I'm friendly and talk to and converse with a lot of unbelievers. But here's what I'm not. I'm not yoked. Because if you're yoked, picture a, a double yoke. Picture two oxen yoked together. Where one goes, the other goes. When one eats, the other's got to stop and eat. When one turns, the other one's got to turn because they're yoked. Now you take one of those oxen away and put a mule in the place of the oxen. And the Bible says never yoke together a mule with an ox. Why? Because the mule doesn't think like the ox, eat like the ox, think like the ox. The mule is the antithesis of an ox. So that when the ox wants to go one way, the mule will want to go another The mule will nip at and bite at and wound and damage the ox. And finally, that mule, yoked with that ox, will take that ox down. Because they're yoked in a binding relationship. Samson didn't get this. Not a thing has changed today. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, the Bible says, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The way the wicked is going, he's going a different direction, will lead you astray. This is is Christianity 101. But I'm amazed at how political correctness has destroyed our ability to think clear. Well, I'm just supposed to love everybody. Sure, you're supposed to. It doesn't mean you're supposed to be yoked to everybody. Come on. 
the Bible is very, very clear about this. The Bible couldn't be more clear. And so the New Testament is clear that the Christians should not be unequally yoked. And then it also says, do not be unequally yoked in marriage. Christians are to marry in the Lord. Now, if you married an unbeliever and you're there, God's going to help you where you are. But I'm being preemptive here. If you're single, don't marry an unbeliever. That's what the Bible says. Well, why not, Jeff? Well, wait till you have kids and you want to take them to church. I'm not going to go into that for long. I need to move on. But this is common sense. Samson rejected all this, and he forged binding relationships with the wrong kind of people. So he went to the wrong place. He started hanging around with the wrong people. And you know what? Now, Samson, the he-man, is on a deadly trajectory towards disaster. Here's the third misstep he took. He rejected wise counsel. Samson's parents tried talking to him. Son, come over here to me for a minute. I want to talk to you. He said, son, is there no woman among the daughters of your own people? Isn't there anybody in church? Isn't there anybody in the house of God? That you've got to go out here to the bar hoppers, the lounge lizards, the worldly, the ungodly, who, who you may have great chemistry with in the natural, but everything comes out in the wash sooner or later. Son, listen to me. I'm trying to talk to you. But Samson, the he-man, he said, you know what? Nobody can beat me. I am on top of the world. I've got this incredible anointing. And here's what he said to himself. I am above the rules. The rules are for everybody else, but not me. And really gifted people tend to land here. We tend to say, well, because I'm so gifted. I'm more gifted than most other people. So because I am as gifted as I am, I'm really not subject to the rules of everybody else. But let me tell you now, Nobody's above the rules. Nobody is above the principles of God. Nobody is above what God has decreed. You cannot. Listen, you are not Superman. Even Superman had a kryptonite. Yeah, so Samson is now, he says to his parents, nah, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to go do what I want. Get her for me. Once Samson made these compromising decisions, his life became like a snowball turning into an avalanche. He's now out of control. This God-anointed he-man began chronically violating the conditions of his Nazarite vow. We find him, for instance, attending a Philistine wedding party, a Philistine wedding party in Judges 14 that was actually a pagan bachelor's party, and the booze was flowing, the alcohol was everywhere, and the debauchery that comes from excessive drinking. And the forbidden festivities ultimately led to bloody violence on Samson's part. Samson made a riddle for the Philistines to solve that resulted in 30 Philistines being killed. And when he went to search their dead bodies for the money that he wanted off of them, he touched a dead body, which was also against his Nazarite vow. He was not to touch a dead body. So he's going where he shouldn't go, hanging with who he shouldn't hang with, and touching things he shouldn't touch. He's out of control. He's skidding downhill. Now, here's what's interesting to me. 
you got to catch this. Judges 15, at the very end of Judges 15, we find this comment. Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Say, well, Jeff, big deal. No, it is a big deal. Look what happened. That means that for 20 years, after all these mistakes in his early years, Samson got it together. Samson's walking good. He led Israel for 20 years without a blip on the radar screen. He's doing great. If we had known him, we would have said, you seen Samson lately? Yeah, well, it's been a while. How's he doing? Man, he has gotten it together. He's not going to those towns anymore. He's not running with those women anymore. He's he's not touching dead things anymore. He's got it together. The man has gotten it together. We would have said, great, praise God, wonderful. But it didn't last. Right when we think he's going to make it, Judges 16 opens with these words. One day, Samson went to Gaza. One day. After 20 years, one day. Now, Gaza was the chief town of the Philistines. It was in the very heart of their country. So there he goes again to the wrong place. What's that Britney Spears song? Oops. I did it again. I just popped into my head. Maybe I shouldn't have even referred to it. But, but if we had known him, that would have been an oops. And that's the way a lot of people live. Oops, I did it again. Oops, I did it again. After 20 years, watch this, Samson falls into the same sin pattern that got him into trouble two decades before. Wow. Now, let me tell you what that means for you and me. Every person here has areas of weakness and vulnerability. Every one of us. We all have a kryptonite, don't we? We all have a kryptonite. That one thing we can't get near without it weakening us, taking us down, compromising our walk. What may be an area of vulnerability for you may not be for me, and what is for me may not be for you, but we all have areas of weakness and vulnerability. And and if you don't know what yours is, I guarantee you somebody who does, the devil, he knows your area of vulnerability. He knows your weakness. Well, how does he know, Jack? Because he was there when you formed it. And he was involved when it was being planted in your life. So we should carefully guard that area of weakness Or guess what? Samson shows us it could resurface later at a later date with tragic consequences. You can never say to yourself, I could never fall. Every single day, your nose needs to be in this word, reading it, meditating in it, studying it, drinking it in, leaning on Jesus. Like the song says, learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I'd ever dreamed, learning to lean. That's what Christianity really is all about. It's not rules and regulations. It's learning to lean on Jesus. Now, you probably guessed what Samson's Achilles heel was. Lust. Lust. We're told that when he got down there in Gaza, Judges 16.1 says he saw a prostitute. Do you know what I see in the Bible? Every time Samson messed up, it began with those two words. He saw. He saw. 
He saw. He saw a woman in Timnah. He saw a harlot in Gaza. He saw Delilah. He saw. He saw. He saw. Now, that word is much stronger in the Hebrew language than it is in the English. In the Hebrew language, here's, here's what it literally means. She was in his eyes. She was in his eyes. Hebrew reads right to left. If you read it, it, woman in eyes. She was in his eyes, stuck, and couldn't get out. In other words, he's fixed, and he can't pull himself away. He saw, get her for me, get her for me, for she is well-pleasing to me. She's stuck in my eyes. What's really something, and a little bit spooky, is later he, it was more than he saw. He fell in love with Delilah. He fell in love with the forbidden thing. It's one thing if you're just kind of dilly-dallying and flirting with a forbidden, but this time his heart got attached to a forbidden thing. Here's where the man is stuck on stupid. Now, I want you to say with me as I do this, say, stuck Stuck. on stupid. If I could do something, write something on his forehead, that's what I would write. Samson, dude, you are. You know why I say that? Because the woman, Delilah, he ends up in her tent. And while he's in her tent... He starts toying with and, 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 and flirting with sin. He starts putting his literal destiny on the line. He allows this woman, she basically says to him, Samson, tell me the source of your strength so I can destroy you. That's really it. She, sa- she said, show me the source of your strength so I can bind you. And what does Samson do? Does he run from the tent? No. What does he do? That's it. Because, look, the first time she says, Samson, tell me the source of your strength so I can destroy you. He says, well, they must tie me with seven new ropes that have not been dried. Then I'll become weak and be like any other man. Now, notice so far he has said nothing about his hair. He gets closer to doom every time. Delilah pitches a fit. Look, you have mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. (laughs) Because instead of getting up and saying, hey, you know what? It's been real, but you're trying to destroy me. I'll see you later. No, he sits there and allows her a second time. They must, he says, They must tie me with new ropes, which have never been used. Then I will become weak and be like any other man. And Delilah herself binds him with new ropes. Then she calls for the Philistines to come in. The Philistines are upon you, Samson. He breaks them like they were kite string. And again, here she goes. Up till now, you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And does he run? Does he say, hey, woman, you're no good for me? No, he is. 
Because now a third time comes. And this time he comes dangerously close. Look how he gets closer now. He said, if you use the loom to weave the seven braids of hair on my head and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So she lulls him to sleep and she does his hair this way. He wakes up and he pulls himself free. And again, she says, why do you keep lying to me? I have five lords of the Philistines that are just outside the tent. And they're all going to give me 1,100 pieces of silver each if you will just tell me the truth and let me destroy your life. The fourth time, okay, it's my hair. If you shave it, I'll be like any other man. What do you think she did? She lulls him to sleep. She shaves his head. And then he wakes up. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And it says in the Bible, it says he said to himself, I will do like I've done every other time. But then the Bible says he did not know God had left him. They came in and they grabbed him, gouged out his eyes, imprisoned him. The eyes with which he always saw. Now, I, I read this and I go, what was wrong with him? And I can give you an answer. It's the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Because every temptation that comes to you and to me has a promise attached to it. If you do this, you will experience that. If you do this, you will have that. It's a promise. But within the promise is a hook that Satan never lets you see. Samson's downfall didn't, downfall didn't happen overnight. It began with small compromises. It was very incremental. A little compromise here, a little compromise there, until finally he was on the fast track to destruction. And so we learn from Samson five things, and I want us to stand together, and we're going to say them together. Can we? How many of you are glad you came to church today and heard this? Now, let me, let, let's learn from this man because the Holy Ghost wants us to learn from him. So here's what we can learn. I want you to say it with me. One, don't go to the wrong places. It will weaken you. Two, don't run with the wrong people. They will compromise you. Don't reject wise counsel. It will endanger you. Don't forget your strongest weaknesses. They'll sneak up on you. Don't flirt with fire. It'll burn you. Now here's the best one. Stay true to your commitment to God. It will save you. Amen.